This week, Tim Keller, who is the pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, announced that he would be stepping down from his day-to-day activities as senior pastor of that church to focus and concentrate on some other ministry opportunities that the Lord has for him. Tim Keller is one of these guys that the Lord has blessed and used mightily. Uh, His writings have had a great impact on me. One of the writings that uh, I most enjoy that he has gifted to the church is a book called The Meaning of Marriage. And whether you're married or not, it's a fantastic book to read. The first time I read through that book by Tim Keller, The Meaning of Marriage, there was a story that really jumped out at me and stuck with me uh, ever since I read that book years ago. I want to share that story with you this morning. Tim writes, When my family moved to New York City to start Redeemer Presbyterian Church, we knew that it would be very time-consuming, especially given my tendency to overwork. From what I learned from other church planners, my life would be out of balance for about three years. That is, I'd be working longer hours than I could sustain permanently without endangering my health or family relationships. So I asked Kathy, that's his wife, to grant me these long hours for three years. After that, I promised things would change. I'd cut back. Okay? Okay, she said. But the three-year mark came and went, and Kathy asked me as we agreed to cut back on my work hours. Just a couple more months, I said. I have this and that commitment that I have to see through. Just a couple more months. I kept saying that. The months flew by with no change. One day I came home from work. It was a nice day outside and I noticed that the door to our apartment's balcony was open. Just as I was taking off my jacket, I heard a smashing noise coming from the balcony. In another couple of seconds, I heard another one. I walked onto the balcony and to my surprise saw Kathy sitting on the floor. She had a hammer next to her was a stack of our wedding china. On the ground were the shards of two smashed saucers. What are you doing, I asked. She looked up and said, you aren't listening to me. You don't realize that if you keep working these hours, you're going to destroy this family. I don't know how to get through to you. You aren't seeing how serious this is. This is what you're doing. And she brought the hammer down on a third saucer. It splintered into pieces. I sat down trembling. I thought she had snapped. I'm listening, I'm listening, I said. As we talked, it became clear that she was intense and laser-focused. But she was not in a rage or out of control emotionally. She spoke calmly but forcefully. Her arguments were the same as they had been for months, but I realized how deluded I had been. There would never be a convenient time to cut back. And here was a line that when I first read it, jumped out at me and stuck with me. I was addicted to the level of productivity I had achieved. I was addicted to the level of productivity I had achieved. Melody Wildling, who's a career coach, has given six signs that you might be a productivity addict. Number one, Are you acutely aware when you are wasting time? And do you beat yourself up for it? 
Number two, are you reliant on technology to optimize your time management, to try to squeeze extra minutes out of every day? Number three, is your number one topic of conversation how crazy busy you are? Do you think hustling sounds impressive while doing less sounds lazy? Number four, are you a slave to your email inbox, compulsively checking it or feeling like your phone is an extension of your arm? Now, she's not a Christian as far as I know, but she's recognized these issues in all of us. Number five, do you feel guilty when you only cross one item off your to-do list or find you're kept awake at night by work stress? Number six, have you ever rolled your eyes when your friend says she'll finally get started on that project she's been talking about for months, yet do exactly the same and rationalize it by thinking you're too swamped? Last week, we talked about the fact that while food is a blessing from God, it can be an idol. So it is with time. Not so much time, but the productivity that goes with the time that we've been allotted. Time is a blessing from God. But for many of us, productivity, workaholism, and our use of time can be an idol that distances us from God and from others. This morning, I'd like you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14, if you need a Bible, there should be one in the rack in front of you. Page 921 is Romans 14. In Romans 14, we've been talking about disputable matters. These are issues in which the Bible is not have a universal ethic, black and white, for every Christian in all places at all times, but instead are personalized ethical issues between us and the Lord. The first week, which was two weeks ago that we looked at this passage, we laid out five principles from Romans 14 for every disputable matter. And then I told you that there were two disputable matters that we really needed to devote entire sermons to. The first last week was food. The second this week is time and our use of time. Before we look at what Romans 14 has to say about the issue about how you and I use our time in relationship to what God has for each of us individually, let me start by be giving us a theology of time from the scriptures. Last week we looked at a theology of food and then went to Romans 14. This week a theology of time and then Romans 14. From the very earliest moments of creation and the very earliest moments of Israel's history as a nation, God recognized our human capacity towards falling for productivity addictions, workaholism, and allowing our time and the way we spend our time to be a stumbling block for us. And so God gave to Israel very early on some rules regarding time. 
and those rules for the most part associated with the idea of Sabbath. And when you talk about a theology of time, it's a theology of Sabbath. And in the Old Testament, God gave the Sabbath to Israel for two reasons. The first can be seen when the Sabbath command is introduced in Exodus chapter 20 in the giving of the Ten Commandments. The Lord said audibly to the nation of Israel, Remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter nor your male or female servant nor your animals nor any foreigner residing in your towns. And here's the reason. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The first reason why Israel was given the commands for Sabbath rest was because of creation. And the point is, is that God did not create you and I simply so that we might do work. We were not created for our abilities for productivity. We are not machines. We are not slaves. We were not created simply to produce We were created for relationship. And when God rested on the seventh day, it's not that he was tired. God rested on the seventh day to be able to give to us the understanding that creation is not ultimately about work. Work is a wonderful gift from God given before the fall. But we were not ultimately created because of the jobs we could do. We were created to have relationship with one another and with God. And the Sabbath command is given out of that relational dynamic. The most important thing in life is relationships. Relationship first with God and then with each other. And when God introduced Sabbath legislation in Israel's rule of law, the first reason was to remind them weekly that they were not productivity beings. They were human beings created by God for relationship with him and others. The second reason why the Sabbath was given to Israel is stated when God restates the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy chapter 5. This is the only command that gets another justification for it when the Ten Commandments are restated in Deuteronomy 5. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, neither, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe 
the Sabbath day. Did you hear the justification that's different here than it was in Exodus? This is the second reason why God gave to Israel the Sabbath. So that they might be reminded that their salvation did not come through their human effort, but through God's mercy and God's grace and God's power. They were to be reminded, just like we are to be reminded, that true blessings in life do not come because we work really, really hard for them. True blessings in life come because our Heavenly Father is a gracious, kind, generous God who bestows good gifts on all who look to Him. This is the theology of time. Time is a blessing. But Sabbath rest was given to the people of Israel so that we might be reminded that we were not created for productivity. And it's not through our human efforts that we bring about our own salvation and rescue. With that in mind, let's listen to what Romans 14 has to say given that theology of time. Look with me in verse 5. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Now, stop there. Paul's going to go back into the analogy of food. Two major analogies in Romans 14, food, which we talked about last week, and time. Now, when you listen to the Ten Commandments, it doesn't make it sound like Sabbath rest is a disputable matter. It makes it sound like Sabbath rest is a universal ethical command given to all the people of God for all time in all places. However, I didn't point this out last week. When we talked about food, there are a whole host of Old Testament commands that make food also seem like they are a universal ethic from God. But when Jesus comes and establishes the new covenant, all the particular details of the food laws do not transfer over into Christianity. However... The concept that food can be an idol and that we need help from God in managing that does transfer over into Christianity. It's just that the food laws are no longer universal and black and white. They're now individualized between ourselves and God, which is possible because each and every Christian has the Spirit. So it is with the Sabbath laws. The universal black and white ethic that is legislated to Israel for the Sabbath, those details do not transfer over into Christianity. You're reading it right here in the New Testament. Some people decide to keep the Sabbath the way it was kept in the Old Testament. Other Christians don't. The point is, is the very specific rules from the Old Testament about how to keep the Sabbath do not transfer over into Christianity. 
However, having said that, the idea that time and productivity can be an idol and you and I need help from God in managing that does transfer over. It's just that instead of one set of rules for all of us, God is saying this is now in the new covenant a matter between you and the Lord. But please don't miss the point. It is a matter between you and the Lord, meaning it matters to the Lord. Just because we do not any longer have a universal set of rules about how to implement Sabbath or how to manage our time does not mean we're free to do whatever we want. That's the point. Some people are going to decide to manage their time one way between them and God. Other people are going to decide to manage their time a different way between them and God. But the point is, we need to decide this between us and God. Please don't miss the beauty of what the New Testament is doing. It's not simply saying food's no longer an issue, time's no longer an issue, do whatever you want. God is saying because you and I now have the Spirit, we don't have to have universal legislation when it comes to food or when it comes to time. Each one of us individually can work out between ourselves and the Lord what it is that we're supposed to do with our time. But the point is we need to work out between ourselves and the Lord what it is we're doing with regard to time. With that in mind, let me run through the five principles we've been looking at in Romans 14 on all disputable matters and apply those to the issue of time. And then let me give you two applications for you and I today as we think through how to let time and productivity be a blessing and not a curse. As we've gone through Romans 14, I said there are five principles that apply to all disputable matters. Let's look at them in conjunction with time. The first one was no judging. The point is how you choose to spend your time is between you and the Lord, and how I choose to spend my time is between me and the Lord. If for me it is necessary to have a Sabbath rest in order to keep time from being a problem, you can't judge me and I can't look down on you if you make a different decision. The idea here is, is that any one of us could be addicted to time, whether you work outside the home or you work inside the home, whether or not it's simply through errands or taking kids to sports or whatever it may be. Productivity, activity can be something that enslaves us. And the idea is each one of us has to work out between ourselves and God how it is that we can keep productivity from becoming addictive and what you work out is between you and God. And what I work out is between me and God. I'm not allowed to judge you and you're not allowed to look down on me. Number two, no gray. Again, the point is, there is a right way and a wrong way for you to engage with time and productivity. You are not free, and I am not free to do whatever we want. The point of making it a disputable matter does not mean we're free to spend our time however we want. It means that my, uh, my engagement with God will be different than your engagement. 
some of us, when it comes to time, struggle with finding our identity in what we produce. Some of us find ourselves regularly thinking, if I just had more time, this would be better or that would be better. Some of us regularly find ourselves thinking, Whatever I'm working on depends on my working. It rests on my shoulders. Some of us fall into the pattern of thinking that if we simply will work hard, then blessings will accrue as a result of that hard work. And if you are a person like me who tends to think those ways, You need some help from the Lord to keep this from becoming a sin or a stumbling block. The point is, there is no gray here. You may be doing an incredible amount of things, and hear this carefully, and sinning against the Lord in the process. Do you understand this? If you have not worked out between you and God what is the proper approach to time given the weaknesses of your faith or the struggles that you have or the background that you've come up with, if you've simply been doing what your neighbors around you are doing, it's possible that you are sinning against the Lord in all the good things you're up to. And the point is, while it may be different for you than it is for me, Every single one of us is accountable to God in how we spend the time that he's given us. Numbers three and four, we can take these together. No stumbling blocks and no blabbing. We do irreparable harm to one another when we wear our busyness as a badge of honor. We do irreparable harm to one another when we suddenly say, You mean you're not spending three hours a day with your kids doing extra credit homework after school to try to help them get uh, more advanced? We do irreparable harm to one another. When we judge one another, are you leaving work early today? We do irreparable harm to one another. When we give affirmation and encouragement only for the accomplishments that we've done, it's possible, in fact, it happens regularly in the area of time, that we become stumbling blocks for one another. If for whatever reason, if you've worked out between yourself and God that for a season you're needing to work extra hours and you've worked that out with your spouse or however that may be, don't tell other people about it and be a stumbling block to them. They may not be able to work the hours that you're working and still do the things that God wants them to do. And the point is time is one of these things that we regularly walk around and talk about how busy we are, how much we're accomplishing, how all our hard work is resulting in great things, and we're causing all the people around us to stumble. And Paul's point is, look, this is between you and God. Keep it to yourself. Finally, number five, no doubt. Time is one of these things where God can use doubt to help us recognize where things might be amiss. If right now you feel like, you know what, I'm not sure that I've thought through my schedule with the Lord. 
If you feel like you're a person who has trouble saying no, when somebody asks you to do something, you have trouble feeling like you might be letting them down and you get asked to do something and you doubt whether or not you can add one more thing to your schedule, that might be the Lord telling you, look, we've not ever worked this out. You're just off responding to requests from all these other people. If you have doubts about whether or not you're spending enough time with the Lord because you're so busy with everything else, that can be a sign that God is saying to you, look, you haven't invited me in yet to make these decisions to help you think through time. Okay, so what do we do with this teaching this morning? Two applications. The first is the same as last week. Invite God into the process of thinking through how you use your time. Look with me in verse 7. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. If you are a Christian, you have been purchased by Jesus. Your life and your time does not belong to you anymore. It doesn't belong to your boss. It doesn't belong to your kids. It doesn't belong to your neighbors. It doesn't belong to your bank account. It belongs to Jesus. And God, who knows our weaknesses, who knows our proclivity to fall into productivity at addictions, who knows our thinking about being workaholics, who understands all of those things and knew it from the beginning of creation when he chose not to do work on that seventh day, this same God says, I can help you with this. Now, please, my friends, I know the feeling. One of the ways in which we think God is most powerless is with our schedule. Oh, but you don't understand. You don't understand the soccer practices I have to get my child to. You don't understand the demands at my workplace. You don't understand what my wife is making me do. You don't understand all the work that has to be done around the house. You don't understand how much it takes to keep this family going. You're right. I don't understand that for you, but God does. And the Lord's arm is not too short. He can give you a schedule. Now look, it'll take some work to keep it. But he can give you a schedule that will be a blessing to you. The most powerful forces in your life and my life are not our bosses. They're not the people around us. They're not the expectations of society. They're not what our phone is telling us we need to do. The most powerful force in the universe is Jesus. And you belong to him. And listen, your kid may not get a baseball scholarship. You may not get an award, you may not get an award at work. You may not be, end up voting, being, uh, being voted the person best in the neighborhood for coordinating the block parties. Your kids may not give you an award for having uh, run their lives perfectly for them. But you're not going to stand before them on Judgment Day. You're going to stand before God and give an account for what you did with his time. And the point is, invite him into the process. Why wait until Judgment Day to find out what he has to say about this? 
The point is, I know what it's like to feel completely overwhelmed, to feel unbelievably busy, to have so many... Your Father in heaven knows what you need. He did not create you to be a cog in a system. His goal is not to run you into the ground. And if you feel like you're too busy, or if you feel like you're missing things or not being able to spend enough time with God, if you feel like the life is a tidal wave that's washing over you, that can be the Spirit saying, invite me into the process. Let me help you with this. No one knows you like I do. No one loves you like I do. No one has the power to take care of you when you have to say no to others so you can say yes to me. Number two, ask God how he would like for you to incorporate Sabbath rest into your schedule. God's solution for productivity addictions and workaholism is Sabbath. Now the great thing about the new covenant is we do not have a universal set of rules that all of us have to follow. The great thing about the new covenant is that God, through his spirit, can help you design Sabbath rest for you. For me personally, God began to introduce the need for Sabbath rest when I was doing a PhD. During that time, there were some unhealthy patterns that had begun to seep into my thinking from years in academia. Unhealthy patterns such as the more you study, the better you do. The harder you work, the more you learn. Those aren't actually true statements, by the way. And my wife, who like Kathy Keller, had the courage and the wisdom to say, if you don't put some rules in place, this PhD will destroy our family. There's always more books to read. There's always more things to write. There's always more revisions to do. There's always more knowledge to chase after. And she was courageous enough to say, we need rules in place. And the Lord used that to say, that's what I'm talking about. And by God's grace, we put rules, I put rules in place and introduced Sabbath rest. Currently, boy, a PhD is easy compared to this job. The idea, there's always more people to meet with. There's always more ministry to do. There's always more work to put into a worship service. There's always more things to work on in sermons. There's always more speaking engagements to accept. There's always more. It is a tidal wave. And the Lord's gift is that's why I give you Sabbath. So for me personally, my Sabbath is Friday from 8.30 to 3.30. So my kids are in school. For Sabbath rest, that does not mean I spend 8.30 to 3.30 in prayer. Sabbath rest is for enjoying life. And so what you do is you design what are things that are relaxing and enjoyable. Running errands is not relaxing. I don't do that on Friday. Running kids to sporting events, not relaxing. I don't do that on Fridays. For me, relaxing, taking naps, going for walks, watching movies, going out to eat with Lisa, doing those kinds of things. Whatever is relaxing, hobbies, those sorts of things. That's what Sabbath rest is about. And the point is, you probably can't take Fridays from 8.30 to 3.30. But ask the Lord what you can do. Maybe you can take Saturdays from 8 to noon. Maybe you can take Sundays from 5 until you go to bed. Maybe you can set aside time every day from 8 to 9.30 as your Sabbath time. 
Maybe you've got little kids at home or babies at home, and when they go to bed at 8 o'clock, you can say, look, from 8 to 9.30, that's my time, and design every day something fun and enjoyable and engaging to do during that time. The great news about this is there's not a set of legalistic rules. God will design a system for you. And the point is, if you are feeling like work is washing over you, like you've got way too much going on, invite the Lord in. Let him give you Sabbath rest. Whether it's an hour a day, whether it's half a day, whether it's one day a week, Maybe he's going to work into your schedule. Look, it's going to be six weeks a year. We're going to take weeks that are set of... He's infinitely wise and he's infinitely creative. Give him your schedule and ask him. Lord, what can I do? I want to be able to spend more time with you and I want to be able to enjoy life.